If you're a Christian in 2022 or 2020 or whatever, and you don't find that being a Christian is a bittersweet thing at the moment, now I don't mean relationship with Jesus, I mean culturally. You know, if you pay any attention at all to the way that the church is viewed and the way that many Christians behave, there's a little bit of a bittersweet thing to that. Between the Grooves is hosted by James Curtis, music director and morning man in the greater Toronto area on Joy Radio, and Aisha Woods, Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, and musician. Together, they talk with artists and industry insiders to discover our connection between music and faith. You can connect with us on Facebook or Twitter, at Between Grooves. Now, here's James and Aisha. Well, hello and welcome, friends. This is Aisha Woods here with my big brother, James Curtis. How you doing? Big brother, you're aging me now. Come on, come on. (laughs) I'm doing really well. I had an amazing weekend. Did you really? I did. Would you like to hear my story? Mm. I would love to hear your story. What happened with you with this weekend? Well, you know, I'd love to say that I had some amazing family time. I'd love to say that it was this amazing meal that I had. But really, it was something a lot simpler than that. Um, I'm always on the lookout for gear for my home studio. I do voiceover okay. work and stuff. And my right, my right. go-to mic has always been a Rode Broadcaster condenser microphone. It's just a great sounding microphone. It's used okay. at a lot of radio stations, not necessarily in North America, but elsewhere. It's used a lot in, in radio stations. And it's just a sweet sounding microphone. So I do all my voiceover work with that. So I've been saving up for a Neumann TLM 103. Um, oh, goodness. So Neumann is, is the big name, as you know, in microphones. Uh, worldwide, okay. I guess. And I was saving up for this microphone. It's, a, it's you know, quite a bit of change. It's, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, there was, I got talking with some other people and somebody said, well, have you ever considered the BCM series? And the Neumann BCM series, they make two mics in that series and it's meant for broadcast. It's meant for radio stations okay. and stuff. And they make a dynamic version, which is the BCM 705. See, I know my oh, mics gosh. now, right? And, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're getting fancy on me. Yeah, right? and then they make the <laughs> then they make the BCM 104, which is the condenser mic. And I'm I prefer condenser mics. I just like their pickup better. Like they it just catches your voice so much better. And when you got a voice like mine, you need to get whatever help you can, right? <laughs> so, um, so last week I started searching around, and I thought, well, let me do a search on this Neumann BCM 104. And I found a person that lives just over an hour away from me that had this Neumann BCM 104. I met the guy on Saturday, gave him the cash, looked at the mic, brand spanking new. It is really? definitely not a knockoff. Wow. So I'm ecstatic with this microphone. I know you are. Have you played with it yet? No, it's like- a, that's, that's my afternoon project. Oh, I'll, gotcha. I'll hook it all up and, <laughs> you know, put it through my preamp and do some testing and stuff. Um, I actually hope I don't get any voiceover work this afternoon because I really want to play with this thing and get it configured yep. and stuff. So, Your new toy. So my new toy. Like my, sounds like my hubby when he goes into Home Depot or Lowe's. Right. As a renovator, he loves, <laughs> he loves stuff right. like that. Yeah, exactly. So... I want to find out from you now, what is, like, so right now, that that might end up being my favorite mic. You'll have to ask me in a couple of weeks, okay? But really? right, right now, my go-to mic is still the Rode Broadcaster mic. Do you have a go-to microphone when you're leading worship or when you're performing on stage? I do have a groove tube. 
at home. A groove tube? Yeah, I don't know. Is that is that a brand name of some sort? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it worked for a lot of years and we did a lot of recording. And then uh, I had my last kid two years ago and somehow or another, he got a hold of that microphone oh, no. that I spent probably close to a thousand dollars for. Right. And uh, she doesn't work anymore. It was a she. So you know, you know when it's a she or a he that it was a it was a good mic. I understand. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, when you're in sweet stu- microphone, when you're recording in studio, you know, do you look at the microphones that you're singing? Because obviously, the the mic that you would use in studio would be completely different from from an on stage performance. Do you actually right, look at the right. microphones or know anything about the microphones that you're singing into? I don't. They just I don't. They just look cool. <laughs> they do. Right. They make for really nice pictures. Yeah. To you, post on Instagram. On Instagram, exactly, exactly. Well, uh, our guest today is a Juno and GMA Canada Covenant Award winner, Elias woot, Dummer. Woot. He is a singer, songwriter, worship leader. He's one of the founding members of City Harmonic, which was, was past tense, oh, awesome. um, a big band out of Canada. In fact, I would describe Elias as the Freddie Mercury of City Harmonic. He was the guy on the wow. piano, and he just made things happen. And uh, he is live with us in studio right awesome. now. Awesome. Elias. Hey, how's it going, guys? We're doing well. Um, I don't Good. know if you caught any of that conversation, but oh yeah, we just uh, started talking a little bit about microphones. For you, do you have a go-to microphone? Uh, obviously, you sing and perform and stuff. So yeah. I know you use a Shure mic when you're doing Instagram Yeah, stuff. I use that for... Um, yeah, for video stuff, just because it's easy, and I'm, I I could really geek out about this, to be perfectly honest with you. Okay, well, let's geek so, out for so a minute. I, I have, so, yeah, the SM7 is <laughs> just easy. We're going for, French here. Sorry, Aisha, right. you know. SM7 is easy for on-the-fly stuff, which is why I use it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I actually own, my main vocal mic in my studio is this Gefell UMT-70S, so it's a transformerless uh, mic that's really similar to, like, Famous Neumann, yeah. um, U87. Uh, and so, Gefell was actually the same company as Neumann prior to the Cold War. Oh, okay. So, in World War II, wow. one of the main manufacturing things in Germany was bombed, um, yeah. for obvious reasons. And then, uh, after the Cold War started, Gefell was on the Soviet side, Microtech Gefell, and Neumann was on the Western side. And that's how the two companies separated. So, it's it's still considered a German-made product? It's a, it's a, Yeah, it's a German, East, and it was an East German microphone. Okay. And so, it's just a fair bit less. They have, you know, say, 60 years of branding less behind them. But it's a great little mic. I did it in a Vintage King in Nashville went and did a, nice. blind, a blind shoot out of a bunch of mics yep. and landed on this. So it was pretty great. Yeah, and it's pretty affordable too. But live, for all the reasons you were talking about, um, with City Harmonic, I would often play from the piano. And yep. the piano was kind of center stage off to a slight angle. And so anything I was doing vocally, the microphone was pointed basically at me or the drums. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. we ended up with the mm-hmm. Sennheiser 845 because it had to be wireless. I was up at about a lot. Right. Um, it had to be wireless, and it needed to not end up just being a drum support mic right. when I was playing. And so we ended up on this Sennheiser 845 because it's a great cardioid pattern and, right. and uh, pretty tight dynamic mic. So, yeah. Now, if you had a preference, though, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're jumping around stage when you're performing. Yeah. 
Um, this is an interesting question because I've I've done audio in churches for years. Yeah, and, I'm a nightmare. And and well, but <laughs> but a lot of uninformed um, or ill-informed uh, singers, yeah, will migrate to a wireless microphone because they just think it's around. cool. Well, right. they, they can move around, right? But in reality, a wired mic is the way to go. Uh, well, not in our case. No, no, I mean, yeah. yeah, because you're moving around. But I'm yeah. talking about quality of sound. Oh, and, sure, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you lose some fidelity for yeah. sure. I, I think, I think the thing is, um, and I'm sure Aisha would think this too. Um, yes, you can be a great musician and performer, right? But if people don't feel like they're a part of something on the other side of the room, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. You can have a perfect performance that's completely dull and uninteresting. So some right. some part of playing live is engaging humans as humans. Yeah. And that's where the wireless comes in. It's just I think it's just a question of priorities. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, and probably less about performing and thinking about like backup singers in a worship oh, setting. Oh, yeah, totally. Where they're they're for the most part stationary, or yes. if they are moving around, they're very limited in how much moving around yeah. they can do. And I just <laughs> I, I shake my head when when they want a wireless microphone. Yeah, that's I, true. Because I've sung backup, and if I had a choice between wired or wireless, yeah, give me the wired microphone yeah, there, for sure. Yeah, there's definitely a fidelity gap. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So typically, it's the wireless eight forty five. Yeah, because it's just pretty tight, right? Pretty tight vocal mic. We 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 were started out with the nine sixty five, which was a sort of a more wide open condenser, and yeah, it was because we thought it sounded better on my voice, right? But then it just ended up bringing such huge cymbal bleed every time. So the eight forty five, it's that's just the capsule because you can yeah, change those right. capsules, can't you? That's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, mm. Any preference on brands as far as mics are concerned? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I like Neumann's, of course. We in my last record, um, I co-produced with uh, Brent Milligan, who's a legend. He's done just about everything. Played on Jesus Freak and he's done every mm-hmm. Curtis Chapman record, Torn Wells, uh, David Crowder band, so on. Um, at Colony House. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's done all that stuff. Well, he has this great like, Neumann USM 69, which is the stereo mic, and he just puts it in front of everything, and it sounds like magic. But of course, it should. It's like ten grand, right? So, Good so he's, yeah, he's got one of those. And, and, and on the on the record we did bef- uh, the last City Harmonic Studio record, which is called We Are, um, the producer had a Sony C800G, which is like. Oh, you know, and those were beautiful. So it's, I've been spoiled a little bit in having <laughs> recorded on, you know, some of the best mics that exist. Right. And then right. having to go home and use my like really good mic and be like, well, it's missing some magic. <laughs> you know, how many mic? How many mics do you have at home? Oh, a lot. Really? I probably, You're a collector. Uh, no, no, I, I'm I'm pretty strategic, but I probably I probably have you know ten or twelve different microphones, and that's. Not counting those that are stereo pairs. So, right. Yeah. Wow. How about you, Aisha? Any mics at home, or you just let the church deal with that? I let the church deal with that, and the producers deal with that when we right. record. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you, when you're practicing or rehearsing before you record anything, is it the hairbrush in hand or? <laughs> no, it's that groove tube mic. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't that work anymore. That your kid broke. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Right. <laughs> I've got uh, I've got a few mics in my collection as well. You know, the last time Elias and I chatted was at Kingdom Bound a few years back before the okay. pandemic, and I was using some uh, Rode Procaster microphones. Mm-hmm. And those are great mics. In fact, I used them again this past summer when I was at Kingdom Bound once again, the music festival in, uh, just outside of Buffalo. Uh, right backstage, typically there's a little tent area that's meant for the artist area. And it's like, it's so close back, like it's, you know, I don't know, 
50 feet away from from backstage really mm-hmm. yeah, about that distance and Ooh. I was uh, had an interview booked with um, uh, Darren Mulligan from We Are Messengers and I was chatting with him and there was an Instagram post that Joy did like a little video of me starting the conversation with him and you could not hear us at all with the oh, music wow. blasting it was so loud mm. but, but if you actually listen to the podcast it was clear as day oh, because that's of these, great. these quality microphones that we were chatting in. Like you could, you could, you could vaguely hear some of that outside sound, but it wasn't yeah. you know, overpowering anything. We could actually carry on a conversation with all this stuff happening totally. in the background. So um, it's nice to have you know different mics for different purposes and stuff. I use those mics specifically for interviews, yeah, specifically to be on site with outside noise. Right. I like yeah. the outside noise. Just yeah. helps with the atmosphere. yeah. Like I would, I would love for us to be having this conversation at a coffee shop right now with all the stuff in the background. But um, Mm -hmm. it's a long commute for Aisha coming in from Florida, (laughs) and cold here too. Aisha, we'd like to invite you for a visit in uh, January, February. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. There you go. Anyways, let's get let's get back to Elias. So we talked a little bit about mics. I wanted to chat a little bit about the fact that after the City Harmonic, or even before the City Harmonic kind of folded. Oh yeah, way before. Yeah, you mm-hmm. moved to Nashville, mm-hmm. and you moved there with your family. And mm-hmm. how many years did you live in Nashville? Uh, we moved. We first moved to Nashville in 2013, January of 2013. And then uh, obviously you still have family in Canada. Yeah, I, we were the only ones. Everyone was still up here. Right. Um, wow. Yeah, but we. I mean, City Harmonic was busily doing. I don't know how many actual events we were playing, but I was away from home somewhere around 200 days a year. Wow. And uh, a big part of it, honestly, was just trying to maximize time with family, weirdly enough, uh, with my own family. Right. Um, because uh, if you've ever flown in and out of Buffalo, um, the schedules, especially 10 years ago, schedules weren't so great. Yeah. So I, I was getting home late. late I, you know, we'd be done on Sunday night. There's no Monday show usually. And then I'm on the first flight out on Monday from wherever I am in the U.S. or around the world. And I'm, I'm not home really until the middle of the night Right on, on Monday night if I'm lucky. And then you got to sleep. And then I got to sleep yes. and try to say hi to the kids in the morning and all that. Um, and so we realized like, hey, we're, we might be losing almost a full day a week just in flight schedules. Mm-hmm. And so we, that was really the, the kind of uh, thing that really, you know, the straw that broke camel's back, and we moved to Nashville. And yeah, I was home by nine ten a.m. most days right. on, on Monday, and really, really added a day a week to our family. Um, so that was the main motivation. Of course, you know, I quickly started writing with other people and, and doing all of that. Yeah, but, there's that whole dynamic of the fact yeah. that people in Nashville are all music people. Yep. really. So you get to network with them and work with them, and yeah, and meet new people and totally. And stuff. Yeah. yeah, and then there's a time when it's like that's what it's about. It's like, oh, I'm gonna fig- find a whole bunch of people. I'm gonna write with anyone and everyone to right, try to just right. get a whole bunch of cuts. And you know, you get further into it, and I'm doing a lot more as a solo artist now in terms of releases and that sort of thing. And so instead of it being like, hey, I'm out there writing a ton for other people, it's like, hey, I'm a producer, writer who knows who my friends are. I don't really need to be in Nashville to do that. Right. You know, and and that wasn't really Mm -hmm. the reason we moved Mm -hmm. home, but it was really about family. And we had some illness in the family that, you know, we felt important to come home. We're both the oldest on both both sides. So it was kind of like, you know, good old responsible, save the world, oldest children. Um, But we came home (laughs) and uh, yeah, no, I mean, and it, it, uh, you know, 10 years later, 
it's sort of like, oh, I, I, I have a routine that isn't about seeing who it is that's available next week anymore. I kind of know who my people are right. and who I'm writing with and that sort of thing. So it's a lot different than it was. Yeah. So you are back home. You just moved, mm-hmm. what, a, two, three months ago? In July, yeah. In July, yeah, right. Back to Hamilton. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I always find it interesting um, that a lot of times when people move, um, I found anyways, from what I've seen, a lot of people move uh, based on what's happening in the economy. So, as an example, uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Calgary is a big yes. um, oil town. And so, when things okay. are booming, people move to Calgary because they can make a ton of money, although, you know, houses mm-hmm. are expensive and everything else. But they'll, they'll move there when there's a boom happening. And then when things die off, they move out. Um, mm. Another interesting thing is, you know, when the pandemic hit... A lot of people moved for jobs. Like in my church, as an example, I found or I had heard that several families, like I'm, I'm talking 30 to 40, maybe even 50 families moved, left the church because they were physically. That's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. But they were moving not because yeah. they were quitting church or anything like that, but they were physically right. relocating for jobs. Right. Mm-hmm. And so. Wow. So you do what you have to do. So you do. Yeah. So. So for you, Elias, was did any of that play? Was it the economy for you or was it uh, more the no, family stuff? No, not the economy. No, more family. Although um, it is like so I'm I'm. Well, you know this. I guess I don't talk about it publicly. But I'm an entrepreneur, so I've yeah. been in music, but I own six companies. A couple things that I'm doing are in the art space. So we have an art gallery opening in the new year uh, on Ottawa Street nice. in Hamilton. So construction's well underway, and uh, I'm a partner in that with Julia Veenstra, who's this well-known painter. Um, she's my aunt. Um, yeah, so that works out pretty good, eh? Yeah, yeah, it's great. So, <laughs> that does. so yeah, she. It's it's uh, one of those things where that was on the horizon, although not a, a major motivator. Um, no, it was it was really mostly about kind of relationships and circumstances. Um, but we did luck out when we moved down to the U.S., um, down to Nashville. The Canadian dollar was considerably higher than the U.S. dollar at the time. And now we moved back, mm-hmm. and the U.S. dollar is considerably higher than the Canadian dollar. So we kind of lucked out both ways in terms of how that <laughs> tends to work. Right. Um, but no, it now we're, yeah, it was really not about the... In fact, um, you know, people who feel strongly about certain things around you know, the pandemic and stuff like that are kind of surprised. They're like, oh, you're moving back to Canada? Like, it's been so strict. It's been this. It's and we're just like, yeah, we don't necessarily see the world the same way they do, maybe. But right. but there is sort of this like, <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you moving to Canada? But no, it's it's uh, we don't we don't regret it so far. And it's not like you're moving into the unknown. You kind of no, know. Yeah, we know Hamilton really yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like you're a stranger either. Home. You know, you, exactly. you were visiting many times and yeah. you know all oh, the yeah. streets and Oh, yeah, and the highways back of my hand. Yeah. yeah. So Ham- Hamilton is very much hometown for us, um, although not as much for our kids. They're really discovering Hamilton. Um, they've been here, but only to grandparents' houses, you know? What's the transition <laughs> been like for your kids specifically? I mean, obviously, it's a different dynamic as yeah. far as, you know, being in a more populated area. Yeah. Uh, people being closer and stuff. But, yeah. you know, things like school and stuff, that would oh, be a man. big change. Right. Well, yes. Um, and to be, not to get political, but um, like our kids' middle school last year had four lockdowns related mm. to uh, guns. Oh, really? And they were at a nice school in a re- reasonable area. Yeah. So it's like th- having not not having that in the background is pretty lovely. Um, but yeah, it's it. They they all love it so far. 
different attitude for sure. Um, there is a little Whoa. bit. I mean, Canada was slower to go back in person than yeah. Nashville was, uh, to put it mildly. Um, and and you could still see the kind of ramifications of that playing out and where everyone's at. Um, but our kids mm. are loving it so far. Yeah, it's been a really positive transition for them. What about the spiritual climate? What differences have you found? Oh man, so. I, I sometimes get in trouble for this one. Um, <laughs> Is that a disclaimer? Yes. Okay. Uh, so I so I grew up I grew up in Hamilton. Hamilton is a very maybe the most politically progressive city in Ontario. I would say it is. You know the mm. NDP, which is the kind of leftmost pop party. Um, they're okay. they're pretty much always the representatives in Hamilton and that sort of thing. So that's the environment I grew up in. Now. Um, What's interesting being a Christian in uh, a city which is basically post-Christian, right? Yeah. Culturally, um, is that when you go to church, it's pretty uncomplicated. Everyone else who wants to be at church, everyone who is at church on a Sunday morning in Hamilton, they want to be there. They want to be there. Yeah. No, you may not sure. agree with them on everything. You may you may have stuff to figure out, but they want to be there. There's no cultural right. Christianity whatsoever. It's just not a thing. Um, so that was actually quite a learning curve for us in Nashville. So, like, if I think of spiritual climate, I actually think in America and in certain uh, church cultures, it can be really difficult to accurately ascertain what the spiritual climate even is because it mm. can look successful. It can have numbers. Right, it right. can have glam and photos and video cameras and podcasts and all of the stuff. It can look successful and be really broken underneath. Um, right, because right. of its scale and reach. I mean, I think we had one of the biggest podcasts of the last two years was that Christianity Today one that uh, about Mars Hill, which, mm-hmm. you know, hit pretty pretty close to home for me. Um, and a co wrote a song about it was Zach from Citizens, who was part of it all. So there is tons of examples of big, successful Christian things that are, you know, in terms of Christian culture, by all appearances, great and underneath the surface really 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 broken so so for Mm -hmm. me like coming back to hamilton the spiritual climate feels tired and post-pandemic and i think that's probably what the question Mm. is about um in all the ways you'd expect i mean you know a year and a half behind the states in terms of like people being comfortable being in a room together again so we're still that kind of almost depression is there um but at the same time uh it does sort of feel familiar enough in that you know at least you know everyone that's there Wants to be there, yeah. And I think that's starting to be true in the States after the pandemic as well. In fact, I was reading an article about it um, that was saying that one of the largest political groups uh, call themselves evangelical but don't attend a church in the States. (laughs) Well, I I was, I was, it's interesting you say that because I was thinking to myself, a place like Nashville that's known for music, known for specifically country music and Christian music, it's probably the biggest genres Uh coming out of Nashville, is church in Nashville. Uh, somewhat of a club that it, people attend? Like, it's the cool thing to do because you're Well, I don't Nashville? think it's the cool thing to do. I think there's a certain group in which it's sort of expected. Um, but Nashville's very, very transplant-oriented. There's a lot of people who move there for a season. I mean, now sure. I've become that statistic myself. Yep. But, like, <laughs> you know, people move in and then they move out when for whatever reason, right? It's Because it's very much a career. And it's not music that drives the growth, either. It's, like, white-collar jobs and Amazon and Nissan and stuff like that. But, but the music thing, it's the same sort of thing that plays out. People move in and they move out. Now, so that means that the shift in population in Nashville has been huge. So culturally, I don't think it knows quite what it is at this point. And I don't mean in a bad way. It's just such a mixed bag. It's Um, a bland. Yeah. yeah. So 10 years ago when we moved there, it was like, hey, what church do you go to? I don't think that's the question now. I don't think that's 
at the forefront. Yeah. Now, if I recall correctly, you were involved in building a church in the Nashville Mm -hmm. area. That's right. Yeah. And so uh, can you tell us a little bit about that and what you're doing now? Are you doing something similar in in Hamilton? No, no, no. So, so yeah, I I co-planted a church in Nashville that started in 2016, uh, kind of pre-meetings were 2015. I was really involved, uh, led worship and helped to kind of speak into culture and kind of hire philosophy ministry kind of questions and stuff like that. Um, and that was a really, really good experience. Um, we put a lot into it. It was kind of right in our own, not literal backyard, but really, really close by. Um, and, and that church is still going. They've since built a building and that sort of thing. We're obviously not involved anymore. Um, and had actually, uh, just for our own mental health, <laughs> kind of left uh, being involved uh, prior to moving home. But um, good church, mm. really great people, good friends who are, who are kind of still involved. Um, but church is tricky yeah and, and often messy sure. right so well yeah. sure. churches are like that and i find that jobs are like that too anytime you have a major change in an organization whether it's a church or just a regular company that you work at if there's a change in ownership uh if there's a change in personnel like yeah, higher major up circumstances yeah. Yeah. Sure. then because then, like, i worked at a job once where the president of the company uh, decided he was going to sell the company, got bought out by another company uh, yeah. that was in the same business, and sure. within a year and a the half, culture will change. Yeah, there was there different. was there was an exodus. There yep. was a you know I would say forty percent of the people left and yep. went on to other jobs, yeah. and that's kind of what happened at the church. Like there were several staffers who left in a very short window of time for right. similar reasons, and it's not necessarily a bad thing because it, no, it's, no. it stems other type of growth. You know, well, and I think like part of the, I mentioned earlier that I've you know been an entrepreneur for. 15, 16 years. So the whole time City Harmonic was a band, I was doing other things as well. Um, the part of why I do that, honestly, is an experience I had in a church years and years and years ago that ended in a way that was pretty bad and outside my control. And I didn't, there are people who do that, who can be in full-time ministry or, or full-time Christian work and, and be fine mentally. Um, for me, I found I didn't make choices that looking back, I think, are like wise choices or good leadership when I was full-time financially dependent on that organization. So like whether that's mm. church or music, you know, I'm I'm intense enough and detailed enough. And I, you know, even my own band, I mean, we're, we're very good friends. We talk, but I'm like, oh, I feel like at t- there were times where I was at risk of like choking, not physically, but, you know, kind of conceptually choking the band because I was like, we, it's got to be this. It's got to be that. It's got to right. get a certain, right. you know, we've got to hit the next whatever. And whenever I'm kind of full time at something that's kind of if something gets my full focus, I probably am a bit much. And so I, I'm you <laughs> nice know. way of saying it. I'm a bit much. <laughs> yeah. So, so overbearing. We understand. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, I know, oh, you know, I'm a lot older now, of course, but and it's probably a lot less so. Um, nevertheless, I've found for me having other things on the go and being able to kind of be part time and in a leadership capacity has been sure, really, really sure. good because it, it allows me to sort of have the perspective of not being afraid of the outcome. It's like, hey, right. what do I think is right or best? Well, I'm, let's do that thing. And, and you know, and, and I've been involved in several things that way and have found it's really given me a great perspective that being all in in one area really never did. I, I, I was never mm-hmm. able to do, looking back, the stuff that I thought was the best stuff to do when I was afraid of whether or not. And we, I grew up not well off, so, you know, you... you bring that with you, you into decisions your decisions based on it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And so it's a little bit like, oh, where's my, where's my next meal coming from kind of attitude. Um, never served me well in ministry and that sort of thing. So I, being part-time has been 
really, really great for that too. Do you find the fact that you don't have 100% of your energy in, in one project, do you find that that might also be a stumbling block in that you're not giving your 100% to whatever that project is? Uh, not for me, I, because when I would give 100%, I'd put a lot of work in areas that didn't need work. I see. And yeah. so... Mm. Um, you're a perfectionist, I take it. Uh, or yeah. just, yeah, a little bit, yeah. yeah. And and so um, <laughs> being strategic in that has been much, much better. Um, I mean, at this point, I'm, I've been independent, not to... I don't know. I've been independent since like 2017, where we finished our deal, and uh, we they used all the options, and we said, "Okay, thanks." And they said, "Okay, great." And, you know, I still work with them as my distributor, the label, um, and you know, at this point, we're independent. My friend and I do the business stuff of what I'm doing in music, and and uh, there's a lot of label acts who are. I mean, I've had the record labels call us to ask how it is we're doing what we're doing. So I I kind of mm-hmm. feel like you know. Part time, we've had results, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's not why we do yeah. what we do, and that's part of what having other stuff allows me to do. In fact, right. City Harmonic, when we retired, a big part of what was in front of us. I I don't know if you watched The Office, um, <laughs> but there was originally a British Office, which yeah. was you know often a lot more crass as British comedies tend tend to be. Um, but it went mm-hmm. what two seasons? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And it was you know it, maybe the humor is not your thing, but it was like a solid, tightly packed two seasons. It knew exactly what it was doing. It did it, and it got out of Dodge, right? The American office ran nine seasons, of which four were good. So there's sort of this, like, (laughs) tendency to, like, if it's making money, just keep doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind yeah. of this, and I think that we can see that in all kinds of church environments and Christian media environments right now, where it's like, "Hey, if it's working and it's successful, repeat the recipe, right. regardless of how earnest you are in it, or what your priorities are, or if you even right. you know have any or kind purpose. of purpose. Yeah, any any purpose at all, other than making a few more bucks, right? And right. so for us with the band, Eric had had cancer. He came and went, and decided he couldn't tour anymore. And then the moment Eric left the band, we were all like, "Okay, let's get." it one year of do we still care and we cared enough Mm -hmm. but we got to the end of that year and went you know what rather than we could make more records we could become a band that just keeps making records forever and slowly fades off into the sunset we all know a million bands that did that Mm -hmm. and we just said we're not doing that that was it that was all it came down to was we we didn't want to fade off into the sunset wanted to close the book ourselves and move on you know part Mm -hmm. of what you said there about the fact that you know you just you know the the office example where they just keep going and whether it's good or bad you know they just kept going because that's all they know what to do it's making money let's just keep doing it Um, what about churches that have done that for years Mm. and years and then the pandemic hits yeah. Right. No, that's a like, really good question. Because they because they they're mm-hmm. so used to doing things their way uh, sure and enough. and not adapting, I guess, mm-hmm. even in the case of the pandemic to technology. So the the mad scramble to get online, uh, some churches mm-hmm. didn't even do that. So right. I don't know where they yeah. are today. I mean, right. they might still be around, but they're doors certainly, closed. Yeah. And and it won't be or what it was like them. before what it was like for them before. But that's, you know, right. adapting to technology, that yeah. whole aspect to it, you know. Oh, totally. Well, and I think during the during the pandemic there was a lot of very public Christian behavior. Yes. Which none of us are <laughs> terribly proud of. And so I think <laughs> that, that doesn't help either. Uh, in kind of the like, hey, come back to church. But the whole time that you were at home, I was saying things you don't want to associate yeah. with. <laughs> you know, right, right. so it's like there's there's a whole host of ways in which kind of we've done public engagement really poorly. And technology is certainly part mm-hmm. of it. Um, and and I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think 
for me, in the same reasons with the band and and looking at what we're talking about now, it's like I, I just think it's really important for us as believers and uh, to be thoughtful in the way that we do this. Um, and right. I think we've been kind of to circle back on each question about the spiritual climate. I think a lot of Christians have been so accustomed to a degree of cultural influence and power that they could take for granted. Sure that we can't take for granted now, which means we approach cultural questions and theological questions and personal questions probably more humbly if we have half a brain cell, <laughs> you know? Um, but I, but I, think, I think a lot of people are still operating in the world, and this is true, I think it was in Nashville with certain pastors especially, um, where they're just operating as if that's not the case, as if they're king of France and, you know, get to do whatever they want. And it's like, hey, that, this isn't your world, you know? It, it right. might be God's world. But God's given us this city to do what is good for the city, just like the people in captivity in Babylon. So it's like this kind of here we are. We, we live as Christians to bless and live for the people around us and for their good. And I could think of nothing more Christian than that. And yet, you know, you listen to us on social media and so on. And it certainly doesn't feel that way. Well, it, <laughs> it's it, sad yeah. when you hear something from it. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, what you're saying is interesting because um, there has been a lot of outspoken people, you know, when the pandemic hit on what is right, what should happen, what shouldn't happen. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, outsiders are looking at Mm -hmm. us as, you know, is this what I want to be a part of? Yeah, totally. Well, Barner was saying that for years before the pandemic, that the new lobby or the new atrium was the website. So people are, before they visit a church, they're Googling the church, they're mm-hmm. looking at it's social true. media, all that stuff. So if what they're seeing when they get there is essentially a political flag waving, um, now that's not to say that churches can't engage or shouldn't engage in politics. It's just the way, obviously there's a difference between looking like a voice box for a political party and engaging right. in politics. Right. You know, right. so if that's all that they see, well, you're, you're telling people what's, what your most important priorities this, are right yeah. away. Yeah. Um, I I find it uh, interesting that, you know, some of the churches have taken that stance where this is the way it should be um, and complaining, I guess, Mm -hmm. complaining about it and being very vocal about the complaints. (laughs) Yeah. And yet, you know, maybe there needs to be more adapting Mm -hmm. to the new climate, adapting to what's happening in Mm -hmm. society and the economy and Mm -hmm. and with people's lives Mm -hmm. versus trying to say, this is the only way things are done. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I mean, humility really needs to be at the center of it. And I think that's true in a lot of directions. You know, I mean, I think that's true in how worship leaders approach the authority and uh, credit that we're given, social credit and right. spiritual credit right. that we're given by people who participate in what we're doing live and listen to music. And like, yeah, sure, I'm nerdy. I care about stuff. I pay attention. But at the end of the day, I'm still just a guy. Like I'm, right. you know, it, I've, I'm a guy with beliefs and opinions and sometimes they're well-founded. And But people should be interested in digging into this stuff. And I just go, well, he said it, therefore. And I think that's true of pastors too. You know, there's kind of this, has been this tendency to be like, well, they're the one with the caller, so they know what they're right. doing. And I think there's a lot of ways in which that hasn't been evident, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that humility is really at the heart of kind of what we need to be doing right now. And uh, it's it's hard because, you know, we we live in a day where the internet landscape and the media landscape is all about surrounding us with all of the things we already think, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. 
or or being <laughs> or being politically correct. You know, it's yeah. that whole cancel culture and and all that stuff that's going on where people, yeah. you know, you have to side with public opinion, even if public opinion Jeez. isn't necessarily the right thing. Do you find that a lot in your area uh, in Orlando? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I live in the South. So yeah. that's that's another um, <laughs> another podcast altogether. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it gets complicated. All said and done, yes, sir, it does get complicated. And Christ and Him crucified and Him resurrected. Yes, <laughs> give me the simplicity of the gospel. Yes, and golly. Well, and I think about it like stuff. I think about it with like if, if we're if we're trying to emulate Jesus in the world. And, yeah. you know, people will often complain about, you know, government overreach and things like that. And we live in a democratic society. I suppose it's a good thing that we care about these things. Right. But right. like Jesus was born and raised in Roman occupation. Sure like was. The, one of the most oppressive, politically oppressive times, you know, for for that part of the world. Actually, I guess Israel was conquered over and over and over again. But nevertheless, like, you know, <laughs> Rome was Overbearing. I'm talking about government overreach. Talk about you know you're obligated to carry the pack one mile, not you know. Right. And and yet Jesus' answer to that was not you know put posters on the walls go to the start a revolution. Yes. It was go the extra mile. Right. So there was something in yep. that this sort of subversive, gracious humility um, that is shocking in an age where everything is about power mongering and that sort of thing. So I I, I think it's it's remarkable to me. That that wasn't. It didn't even seem to be an instinct for so many, and and it, and it it so many Christians. I mean, it, it, when mm-hmm. when all of this is mm-hmm. happening, and and it, and it really is sort of this like, am I scared about certain things? Sure, I am. You know, I've got stuff to work through and figure out how to discuss. Um, but I think the ability to know what it is that's most important about my relationship with God and what it is that's most important about doing and becoming the way of Jesus in the world um, mm-hmm. is really fundamental. And I, it worries me that that we've kind of, I can't say we've lost that, but like it doesn't seem to be the first thing, the thing on the tip of people's tongue, you know, right, right. Right. is how do, how do we be Jesus in this scenario? It's, yeah, the message has been lost by a lot of mm-hmm. people, I guess yeah. is the way, the, the right word to use there, from a lot of people because they've concentrated so much of their effort talking about other stuff mm-hmm. that they might be passionate about and, and they might you know, feel is really important, but it's not the most important thing. Yes. Again, yes. Right. Maybe they need to get back to basics. Maybe it's just the yeah. whole kiss thing, you know, keep it simple. Yeah. Well, thing. and there, some of those yeah. things are implications of the gospel, but they're not, if you're not able to say, because the gospel is this, that thing matters this way. If you can't do that, probably right. don't go out yelling about it in the streets. Right. Just leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we should probably talk a little bit about your music. Sure. Um, you know, um, I, you know, we've got an artist <laughs> on the podcast. May as well uh, chat a little bit about it. You've got a uh, current radio single. I don't even think this was ne- meant to necessarily be a radio single. No. Uh, we're here because you're here. It's yeah. off your current album, The Work, Volume 2, which yeah. uh, alludes to the fact that there was a Volume 1. That's I guess. true. There yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us tell us a little bit about that whole project. Yeah. So um, the work volume two uh, was my second solo LP, my full album. I think you guys played enough on Joy quite yep. a bit. Um, yep. So enough was from the first record. Uh, the second record was kind of a my first solo record. When the band broke up, this was not a like lead singer leaves band scenario. We were mm. very much a band band. The, you know, we were like tight knit, r- relationally thick. 
Um, and when we decided to kind of wrap it up, Josh, the drummer, was like, you need to make more records, so you keep doing that. I will. And, and you were solo before the Cedar Harmonic Before the anyways, Cedar right? Harmonic, so, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Although gotcha. people don't really talk about that much, but because um, it's a good 10-year window. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the uh, I sort of made the volume one, and volume one was kind of about scratching itches I couldn't scratch in a band. You know, it's just kind of like, I'm in this thing, it's very collaborative and very dynamic, and we have a sound that was very particular. Yep. And so volume mm. one was like, for, I'm going to forget that sound and prove that I'm not just this thing. Well, volu- the truth is, a big part of that sound was my own personality and preferences, and not entirely, but a big part. So as we started to get to volume two, it was like, you know what, I'm a little more comfortable in my own skin than I was in volume one and it's like oh I know I know I'm going to make a record and it might sound a little more like City Harmonic than the first one did because that part of that was always me mm-hmm. you know and so with, with volume two we did that I got together with Brent Milligan who like I said earlier was huge legend in the music and and uh, became a really good friend and there's something that um, I don't know I think if you're a Christian in 2022 or 2020 or whatever right and and you don't find that being a Christian in your life or in public is a bittersweet thing at the moment. Now, I don't mean relationship with Jesus. I mean culturally, right? Um, if that's not bittersweet, I feel like there's a little bit of an ostrich thing happening there. Like, you know, if you pay any attention at all to the way that the church is viewed and the way that many Christians behave, there's a little bit of a bittersweet thing to that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, to some degree, this album had to be characterized by longing. And by that kind of stubbornly hopeful, but, you know, clear eyed view of where we're at. And so there are quite a few songs because you read that in the Psalms all the time. You read David, you know, going from threatening to murder somebody to God is good and faithful within like right. 22 words. Yeah, a few verses. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And, and yet our worship songs so often feel this almost like plastic sheen of everything's fine. Everything's fine. Just keep singing. Exactly. Just keep singing. You know? And it's like, that's not no the struggle. Bible. Yeah, no struggle. That's not the Bible. You know? Yeah. And, and and so I, and I find that in the gospel world, they're so much better at that. There's this, there's this mm-hmm. gap between, in, in kind of these white evangelical spaces, there's this gap between between reality sure. and what church is like. And, and it's right. not in the Bible and it's not in, you know, other traditions. And so it's like, you know what? I think there's a little bit of earnestness that's needed here. And so mm-hmm. there's a couple songs on this record. Actually, all the songs that people have really resonated with on this record. Um, Kyrie, wow. Eliason, It's Mercy We Need is one that was written uh, because I had experiences very similar to those that Zach and, and Citizens had with Mark Driscoll and my own kind of someone very domineering and a spiritual father of sorts who was pretty heavy handed. Um, and, mm. you know, but there was no podcast or media department. It was just, you know, personality. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a very real thing we shared. And, and so we kind of, you know, made that song and then found out the Christianity Today podcast was coming out. And so a lot of people resonated with that. Um, there's a song called The Gospel is Rest, which was really written uh, prior to resigning from the church, but sort of in this kind of space of near burnout and going, you know, I don't, wow. I, don't I don't know, you know. And so there's this phrase that I'd heard, you know, the gospel is rest, which is kind of this idea that we find peace in Jesus. Um Mm-hmm. My experience of that has been that it's a lot more like looking at Revelation. It's a bit more like this kind of now but not yet. 
It's like, yeah, there mm-hmm. is there is peace in terms of like the hope of peace and peace in terms of this thing which you experience sometimes. But I can't say that my life is characterized by this constant Zen-like peace thing. I, I can't <laughs> say that. So, so, so the chorus of that song, even though the song is very hopeful, the chorus of that song is, uh, I've heard it said the gospel is rest, but oh, how I need it. And that's mm-hmm. a du- double, you know, bit of wordplay, meaning how I need the gospel and how I need rest, yeah. you know, and a lot of right, people connected right. with that. And so this sure. song, We're Here Because You're Here, was sort of like we released a lot because the record was so the record was delayed a lot because of COVID, frankly. Brent had COVID twice, um, got really, really sick for a while. And so we had a, a few kind mm. of health delays in there. And uh, You actually released it, if I recall correctly, released it as you were moving back to Canada. Uh, just just before. Or just before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or maybe wow. it came out. No, you, I think you're right. I think it came out uh, just after we'd... It was end of June or end of July. End of July, I think. So yeah, just after we moved back. Yeah, it was kind of bizarre. Um, so yeah, the... the uh, super delayed so we were releasing single after single after single and by the time we got to the album we were like seven songs in I'm thinking they've heard the whole record by the time the record wow. comes out um, and this song we thought you know we, we, I love the song was really written about like why I wrote Benji Cowart who's a good friend we've written a few songs together and it was like how when we go to church why like, why is this different from Kiwanis or the bowling club or or whatever? Why is this meaningful? And and why do so many people feel like going to church is this disingenuous practice? Mm. Like they're like pretending to be something that they're not. Which mm-hmm. we could talk about that forever. But but there's right. sort of there's sort of this engagement of church where we put a put wallpaper over our real life, and and right. and that feels like a total miss in my mind. And so there was this World War One song. That was uh, ironic and sarcastic, and it was we're here because we're here because we're here because we're here we're here because we're here. Right? It's just this kind of like self-fulfilling loop of like no one knows why we're fighting, and here we are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we're here because you're here was really just intended to kind of pick up on that, just as a stupid cultural reference, but pick up on that and sort of be like, no, there's a reason that we do this thing. There's a reason sure. that, you know, being a part of the bride of Christ means something in the world. And it's, it's this idea of like, no, we are the front lines of, of the kingdom of God in a sense, not to gain ground, but to sort of be right. bunkers of hope and mercy and graciousness and in that thing, you know? Um, and so the song really wrestles through that. And uh, in, in, a, in a lot of different ways, why do we bother with this? Well, we're here because you're here. You know, because mm. when when we're here, we we know there's something special in that. And you know, if it's all on our shoulders, it's bound to fail. But if if you're in it, God, you know, yes. the weak and weary can shake the very gates of hell. And so there's this kind of t- tendency uh, for us to sort of be like, yeah, God's with it, God's with it, but we got to do all the work. And 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 we <laughs> kind of build all these systems, and we do all. And it's not that those things are bad in and of themselves, but it's like on some level, God was pretty patient. You know, I mean, you got Jesus happening and somewhere around 30 A.D., the the crucifixion. And and it's not for hundreds of years that the church has any sort of cultural impact in, mm-hmm. a, in an official way. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like and I think we often lack that patience because of desire for our own significance, you know. And so there's there's something beautiful in that. And this album sort of really wrestles through a lot of that. I, I kind of jokingly called it like reconstructing worship. It's like. There's this sense of like, what is it we're doing and why? And so the album 
really feels like that. There's sort of this naivete, and then it kind of breaks into this period of like, wait a minute, what are we doing? And and sort of comes mm. out comes out the other side. Um, Mind and purpose. Exactly. Like. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, and, and awesome. intent and everything else to go sure. to go along with that. Yeah. For, for you now, um, with an album out, the fact you're getting settled back into Canada and and, and whatnot, um, are you going to be getting more involved in? Uh, like touring and and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, with, with with City Harmonic, I mean, some of it was sheer economics. When you're in a band, and you're a band that's like structured in a very egalitarian way, um, so with the four of us own the band equally. Yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to happen for each of you to make a living. Yeah, well, just the sure. math. Yeah, just the math and and the right. coordination. Yep, right. Yep. So, so we were schedules. very very busy in yeah. order to make sure we each made a living. Yep. And that our team made a living. As a solo artist who's independent and I make all the money from streaming, it's uh, not the same. Yeah. <laughs> so they make all the money from streaming. Yeah. Well, obviously, that's just a part time gig for you then, anyways, well, it, right? So. It, well, it isn't. It isn't. Like, it is. But the truth is, like, being independent, streaming is not bad. Like, if mm-hmm. you, if you, when you start to get momentum, yeah. it, it, it really starts to not be so terrible. I mean, it's not a living, right. but it's a more significant thing than I ever saw on the label side. Um, and mm-hmm. so, so it's, it's sort of that like thing of like, well, I, I, touring can be something I do intentionally and strategically where I'm not calling right. my agent being like, I need to play so I that I eat. I have to be on the road. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So it's like, so I'm, we're, we're looking at uh, a thing in the spring in, in Canada and, you know, particular cities and, and cause I know Canada is still a little cagey in certain spots about live events. Um, and in the U S same sort of thing, like, you know, we'll, we'll plan five or six weekends throughout the year. We'll do some in Europe and some bigger events and that'll be it. It'll be like, you know, instead of 200 days a year, I might be gone a month total. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's by choice. Yeah, and I'm really, really happy about that. Yeah, I know. I don't blame <laughs> you. Know, that's wonderful. Yeah, Aisha, you and I have had this conversation before too about the fact that post-pandemic, a lot of artists have just decided, you know what, I'm not going to go nuts with my touring like I used to, or they'd be right. gone, you know, 20 days straight out of their, you know, away from their families, especially with oh, young totally. families and stuff. And now, yeah. if they can, you know, every other week be away for three days, you know, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday yes. deal. Why yeah, not? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and the unseen part of that, not to get in the weeds, but the unseen part of that is the way that the economics of music have changed behind the scenes. Yeah. So right. you've got a lot of like, say, UMG or whatever, their lawyers have been changing the deals so they don't get sued. So they had a lot of lawyers in these kind of ironclad, a lot of uh, artists in these kind of ironclad agreements. I'm sure Aisha knows what I'm talking about. Um, oh, yeah. And and they've all kind of been like, well, I think we need to be in more of a revenue share model so that we have less investment and we can invest in more strategically and the artist has more revenue as we go. And right. so it's sort of this lower risk, higher reward scenario. So artists that get mm-hmm. a little bit of success are making more money month to month than they were even in their big record deals back in the day. Yeah. Right. And no one's rolling in it. Oh, yeah, some people are, but that, my point isn't that they're rolling in it. It's just that the economics have completely changed. At the mm-hmm. same time, the Christian mu- I actually think it's hard. It used to be, this is going to sound cynical. Um, it used to be, <laughs> maybe I'm a little cynical, I don't know. It used to be that uh, people would argue that it's easier to make it, quote unquote, in Christian music than it is in the general market because it's a smaller pool of people trying to do so. So the argument was if you couldn't cut it, and it was, I don't think it was true, but it was an accusation. If you couldn't cut it in the general market, um, you'd go and make Christian music. Right, I would agree with that right. statement in the U.S. I think no, it's totally changed. I don't even think that was the case in Canada, though. 
No, in Canada, it was never the case. I mean, in my case, I was given a red pill, blue pill scenario by a major, major guy in the music business. So I could have gone and wow. I could have gone the other direction, and we chose to do worship music. Um, mm. But nevertheless, the thing that's changed is that now every church of 500 people or more made a worship record and think of yeah. themselves right. as a recording artist. Yeah. So all exactly. of the venues that upper that like middle class artists if you will not in terms of economic class but like mid tier christian artists and low tier yes. christian artists all those venues are gone yeah so right. you That's can't right. you can't call every church in cleveland anymore and trust that mm-hmm. you'll end up with a venue that's still true in the general market you can you could be like i'm a singer songwriter and call every bar and find a venue for your ticketed event. <laughs> and so it, it's actually 180 now. And if anything, you, there's no middle tier in terms of touring. And the only people who are able to tour are on these big packaged tours, which are run by two, right. two or three production companies. And I won't name them. They're lovely people involved. I'm not blaming them. Sure. But like the economics of Christian music has really shifted in the oh, last five years. It's a different industry altogether. Yes. I would, the only thing I would argue with that is I think that's more so in the States than Canada. Because in Canada... Um, well, in Canada, there's only one. And I'm glad he's my friend. Yeah. <laughs> in, in Canada, you can probably still call up churches and... and oh, that might be true. That part. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That You could probably still call churches and find venues. But they're charging rental now a lot more. And yeah. there's a lot wow. more of that that comes with it. Um, even Paul, who's a good friend of mine, Paul Kelly, who yep. is Unite Productions, really has been a huge success and a legend of helping artists reach Canadians for years and years and years. Yeah. The best. Um, even he would say it's harder than it used to be to get certain kinds of venues excited and get, get events to happen. Um, so it has changed a lot. But in the States, it is like there is no middle tier. Right. You're either opening mm-hmm. for somebody who's on a big tour with one of the big promoters or you're not playing live. And then the other part right. of it, too, is, uh, and this isn't necessarily, well, I guess it would be more post-pandemic as well because of all the restrictions and whatnot. It's it's actually harder than it was pre-pandemic for U.S. artists to come to Canada. Oh, yeah. Uh, like pre-pandemic, it was, you know, the the larger the crowd, or sorry, the larger the group. So if it's a, if it's a group uh, with multiple members and band members and everything else, it's a lot more difficult because yeah. all the hoops that you got to go through. But really very, just one big hoop, but we don't need yeah. to name it. Right. Uh, and now with the pandemic, oh, in the pandemic, I think a lot of U.S. artists have been reluctant to come to Canada because of the... Same hoop. The, the, yeah, because of some of the restrictions oh, that we had. So, here we go. We're talking hoops. There. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. yeah. No, it was, I mean, it's, it is interesting. I mean, that is a tricky thing for sure. I've heard directly from artists and directly from the promoters for these big tours. Yeah, that it's 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 different getting getting into Canada. And there was there was bands where, say, one person on their crew um, who they viewed as essential didn't want to jump through that hoop. And uh, that was it. They couldn't do the tour. Wow. You know, Um, one of the things with the visa system that's so interesting is like in the States, if you have one award, like one chart position or whatever, you're forever allowed in almost. It's almost like <laughs> we want we want winners, so you can apply. You have to, yeah, you have to yeah. do it well in advance. But there's this you're sort of, token. Yeah, it's this <laughs> so, funny, this so funny what, attitude difference. So what you're saying is, I need to win an award. You pretty much. Yeah, you yeah. Probably, okay. Don't you have one? Wait, I'm sure the GMA's the Covenant Award gave you something. Nothing right for radio. There's nothing for radio. What? No. I would like. Really? So they've I'm given just, me too many. I think I've, you you I'll can take have one a couple. Of them. Yeah. If we can put the word out, you know. That sounded so arrogant. I'm so I sorry. <laughs> no, I, I was partly partly making fun of how small a pool the Canadian thing is. In a good way, we all know each other. Yeah. But um. But it's also like you know. 
don't know. There, there came a point where it's like, I think, I think maybe we should not keep doing these. And I, there was a period where they stopped, wasn't there? The Covenant Awards. Uh, well, it's certainly during the pandemic, yeah, because of obvious reasons. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But the last couple have been online. Yeah, and I don't know if they've had the necessarily the same kind of dynamic or the yeah. same kind of showing. Yeah. Like I haven't quote unquote intended them when they were yeah. online. I prefer yeah. the face to face. I, I love the camaraderie and the, and yeah, the that, community that, part that, of it. That's the part I like. Um, yeah. But but it is it. Yeah, it was there. There is a sort of like. I mean, I guess I guess it's. I, I should never complain about this. It, they were really, really kind to us. Oh yeah, you um, won some awards, so yeah. you can't. I can't, I can't complain. <laughs> but like, but but it is funny. Like uh, filing for the reason I think this way is like filing for it. Um, there's this sort of like reminder every time I cross the border because I have you know I have this visa class that's specific to like entertainers and scientists and hockey players who've you know done X Y Z. Right. And so like mm. you get to the border. And um, the guy at the border is like, "How'd you get this?" Yeah. <laughs> Every time he's like, "He's like, well, here's what they told me. They told me that like this type of visa is for like the defenseman, and the type of visa you have is for like the Wayne Gretzky." And he's like, "And I don't know who you are, and they don't know who you are. <laughs> right. Nobody's ever heard of you. So how did you get this visa?" And so there's sort of this like funny niching kind of thing. I know that happens. why. Yeah, it's like it's like no, you're entirely correct. I've done nothing of major significance, and yet here. I am, you know, able to cross into America on a technicality kind of thing. So for the younger generation, Wayne Gretzky was actually a big hockey player. <laughs> so I just thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. pretty big Canadian the, too. The Austin Matthews of <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Austin Matthews of, yeah. of hockey. Yeah. Well, listen, we are out of time. Uh, what a fun conversation! Talked about yes, a lot of indeed. stuff. Really appreciate your time. For those that want to learn more about Elias Dummer, check out his website, EliasDummer.com. And before we go, uh, let's just get a quick. Uh, bit of artist advice from Baylor Wilson. The first thing that comes to mind is to keep it pure. Um, Keep your relationship with Jesus pure. Uh, It's so tempting to switch from just a heart of worship that even began your songwriting and your singing to um, performance slash selling slash money slash audiences slash fans um, and that all that all might come and that is not all bad uh, because I'm in it so I'm not saying that's bad but the, but I would just say to keep a pure heart um, ask the Lord to continue purifying you um, if you need to take a sabbatical for two weeks and get your heart right I recommend it I do that often just keeping my heart pure before the Lord is the most important advice I would give great advice I think um, when it all comes down to it it's matter of what uh what you said earlier just keep it simple stupid yeah you know focus on what's most important when i said that earlier when i said that earlier we were kind of all talking at the same time so all you heard was keep it simple but there was the stupid part in there just (laughs) so we're clear but you know it's it's you know thinking about what she said about keeping a pure heart it's sometimes difficult to do when you start thinking of the business side of things right when you start thinking Mm -hmm. about all the other stuff that needs to happen all the wheels that are in motion for your career and it's any career whether it's a music career or any other career but right keeping your eyes on god and 
knowing what your priorities are in all of this. So good words of advice from Baylor Wilson. And that is it for this week's episode of Between the Grooves. Don't forget to uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. And uh, if you've got any comments that you'd like to leave us, we welcome them as well. In fact, one of the things I was going to mention earlier, we talked, we were talking about microphones and stuff. Hey, is there, if there's a favorite mic that you like as an artist or a musician, let us know. Um, we share. can uh, keep that dialogue going for sure. Share with us. And uh, thanks for tuning in to Between the Grooves. Thanks for listening to Fate Strong Today's Between the Grooves podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, would you consider sharing it with your friends, rating our podcast, or giving us some love on your socials to your amazing friends and followers will only help us reach more people. We'd also love to hear from you and share your feedback in an upcoming episode. Send your video or written message to Aisha and James on Facebook and Twitter at Between Grooves or email us anytime. Hello at faithstrongtoday.com. 